thankful for Manu. I'm thankful for basketball. And like, I'm thankful for Manu because he helps me understand that I'm thankful for basketball. We're just like, like Ginobili. You know, like when I'd make a three or drive in. Alrighty. <clears throat> Welcome back to another episode of Basket Sprawl. This is a very special episode. It is a... Uh, not an in memoriam because the dude didn't die, but Manu Ginobili just retired, and I'm with uh, trusty Justin Moser to, uh, you know, share our thoughts about the great Manu Ginobili and what he meant to us, uh, what his career meant to us, to, uh, you know, Midwest Bulls fans, I think, in the early 2000s. He was definitely there. Um, so I guess I'll just open it up, Justin. What does Manu mean to you off the bat? I think when you think of Manu Ginobili, you, you have to think about one of the most exciting players in NBA history. The guy's passing ability, his, able, his ability to get through the lane with his Euro stepping. He's got career highlights like dunking on Chris Bosh or blocking James Harden in the twilight of his career. He was an instrumental part to the Spurs, what some may say, dynasty. And he's probably the best bench player ever. I really think it would be hard to find anyone who was as consistent as him coming off the bench. Even though he only won six, won six man of the year. It's he him or Kevin so McHale. Okay, and I, I'm not going to pretend like I know a lot about that I think, era of I basketball. Think, I think that's the... I think, but it's him or Kevin McHale. Okay. I think he's the argument. No look. And you know what? Just sitting here, J- Justin and I are just watching Manu highlights as we're, as we're recording this. We're watching highlights spanning Ooh. from his early years to his international play, to his Spurs play. I mean, there's just this incredible, um, explosive superstar quality to him that it's just so interesting to think about how he was a sixth man for a majority of his, of his career. And knowing that that was what right. I mean, it's mind-blowing to think about this guy who put Argent, uh, uh, Argentina on his back and beat the USA in 2004 for a gold medal. Beat the U.S., this dude. Coming off the bench for the Spurs the next season. I mean... One thing that I think is so incredible about Manu Ginobili, and we've already talked a bunch about him coming off the bench, is he knew his role and he knew what was best in a basketball sense for his team. He was really just there to do whatever he could, no matter what it took. And I find it really refreshing. I'm not going to say the Manu's the only one who's ever done this before, but think about their this offseason where Carmelo, how many times has he come out and said, I'm not a bench player, I'm not a bench player. We all know he's a bench player. He probably knows he's a bench player. But you know what? Carmelo's never going to win. He's never going to be a winner. And I think something that kind of separates Ginobili and why we consider this guy that was only a two-time All-Star to be a first ballot Hall of Famer and, and just like such an important part of a Spurs dynasty and championship winning you know, uh, organization is just... He did whatever it took to win. He knew what it took to win. And he didn't make a fuss about it at all. He just, he just did whatever was asked of him. And I think it's really commendable. And I'm, I would love, and I haven't really looked, but like to hear sort of what other NBA players look up to Manu. Because I think he's a very unique individual. And he really set the tone for, I think, what a franchise player who maybe isn't the best player could do to really help a team win. Yeah, I mean that's really well said. I'm I'm looking over his career highlights and awards on his Wikipedia page, and 
it, it's not what I think of when I think of the only thing I see is the four-time NBA champion. And he's got this intangible quality to him that has just always enamored me. I've always been enamored by it, I should say. When I was young, too young to know what like sacrificing was and watching basketball, I was always jealous that the Spurs seemed to have this guy because the Spurs were winning. It was like the Lakers, the Pistons, and the Spurs were always contenders when I started really loving basketball. Mm-hmm. It was kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, I some would always say that. knew like there was gonna be one like three teams were gonna make it. See, to me, I was always I was just really uh, romanced by the Spurs ball movement, like. Boring basketball, fundamental basketball has always like scratched my itch. <laughs> you know, like, no, I love, I love, I love Tim Duncan for that the same, same reasons. But like, I'm not gonna tell you I was a huge Spurs fan or watched a bunch of Spurs games. I didn't. All I know is how I felt back then was, and you know, I never. I, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I'm this huge Manu fan who, you know, has a jersey or like really ha- is anything more than this. But when I was young, I knew the Bulls needed guys like Manu. I, I, I realized that. If we had Manu, he'd probably be the best player on our team. And he was coming off the bench. I just remember that resonating with me so much. And looking back at these stats, for the one... He won a one six-man of the year award, right? In that one year, he averaged 20 points off the bench. 20, you know, 19.5. He shot, he shot 54% from the field. 87% from the free throw line. Off the bench. And making winning play after winning play, and I, they swept the Cavs that year in the finals, and one of the probably the worst finals I in my lifetime I can really remember. I mean, it was cool. Do you remember a more lopsided finals than that? Maybe when LeBron was on the the Cavs. He was. You mean versus the Warriors? I mean, the Warriors just crushed them. No, I mean no, LeBron, no. LeBron. There was there was no game. LeBron, one. stop. Stop. Hold on. Hold on. Per- Justin. Okay. Sorry. LeBron's performance was like. Memorable, but the Warriors just crushed them, and you knew they were going to win. Yes, all I all I'm trying to say, I guess I don't want to argue at all. But all I want to say is, there was no game one from 2017 in the 2007 Finals. Like, there was no doubt in any one of those games. Actually, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering that wrong. I actually remember LeBron missing a game tie or a game winner in one of those games. All these years men together. All I know is that Manu's like a big constant, you mm-hmm. know, and a big constant of my basketball love is like Kobe, LeBron, Shaq, Manu. I mean, he's really in there. Like, Dun- because as much as Duncan, I love Duncan, there was nothing flashy about him at all. Nothing. And as much as there's nothing, quote unquote, nothing flashy about Manu, he's damn near the flashiest player you've ever seen. I wouldn't say he's not flashy. He has some of the right. best passes Yes. I think he's going to be remembered for his entry passes in the lane, really. That's kind of where he shined. And also, like, I don't, I don't think, like, he was the first one to, like, do a Euro step even remotely, but, like, he was the best at it. There was nobody who could just, like, carve through the lane like him and, and really make you think, like, how's this guy doing this? <laughs> we just watched a highlight of him missing a dunk and followed up by a highlight of him dribbling through David West's legs leading to a last contested uh, right-handed layup. From last year. From last year. Yeah, he still had it when he was in his, in his early 40s, which he, is pretty unbelievable. He probably could have kept playing for a couple more years. And you know what? That's the thing, too. I mean, these guys, when they get older, um, they really do start to break down. 
But it seems like the great ones can always like still have it in. Do you remember Tim Duncan's last game when they were down big to OKC? I do, yeah. And don't you remember for a second when he like really started playing as hard as he could, and it like meant nothing. You know, they they lost, and he couldn't he couldn't win them back. But like, that was the last moment of Tim Duncan's career on the court. And it, similarly, Manu, which Golden versus Golden State is his last game, right? Mm-hmm. In his career, he was always just a huge threat. Golden State, you can't forget about Manu. Don't let Manu beat you. Yeah. It was still the mo. It's kind of crazy <laughs> to think that like a forty something is he like forty one? I think he's forty one. A forty one year old is leaving the Spurs, and they're going to be dramatically worse because of it. And like that may or may not be true. Absolutely, it's true. I mean, who's, yes, who's, you're right. Who, you're mean, right. Who's, you're right. Who's their second most impactful player on their team? Well, LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah, after him. Or DeMar. Some people would say LaMarcus DeMar. Um, <laughs> hey, Harlan. Enough. Stop. Harlan. Probably pause it if you want. No. Um, cool. No more barking. That's Harlan at Harlan the Corgi on Instagram. He's great on the gram. He doesn't bark. Uh, he deserves a follow. He's, anyway. Um, here, you want to hear? I don't, are you, are you're going to cut that out, right? Hell no. <laughs> okay, so I'm reading a crazy stat right now. The Spurs won 72% of their games when Manu played. That's the highest win percentage of any player with over 1,000 games played. Yeah, he's, like, he's truly like the John Madden of uh, <laughs> The John Madden? John, ba- John Madden's most <laughs> winningest coach in football history. Harlan, enough! We're recording a darn podcast. That's Harlan the Corgi. At Harlan the Corgi on Instagram. Am I getting that right? That is correct. Okay. Shush, Harlan. Excuse us. Yeah, the guy knew. The guy knew how 72%, to win. Seventy-two percent. That's insane. Seventy-two percent. The guy knew how to win, and he was just <laughs> so, so exciting doing it. I, <laughs> I love him. I mean, like, it's, <laughs> it, is it fair to liken him to Walter Payton in a truly abstract and weirdly unfair way? Is that just a grandiose thing? I mean, I maybe, do? but like Walter Payton kind of was like everyone knew he was the best player on the Bears, and like when when he needed to step up, he stepped up. That's kind of like his thing. Kind of similar to Manu. It's not. I mean, you're... I know. I'm we haven't, we haven't, Tim Duncan, we, I guess. Well, no. We haven't given credit to Tony Parker, who for at least two or three years of his career was considered, if not the best, one of the top three point guards in the whole league. That's true. He was the fastest man in the NBA and for a while. he was really good in the playoffs, the too. You always knew that he was going to... He won the finals. I think he won the finals. He did. He did. Yeah. They're, they're pretty spread out. Um, but, I mean, I guess the point is, and this, is, this goes without being said with the Spurs, is their system team, and Manu was the ultimate system player. And that's probably why his career lasted so long. I mean, 16 years in the NBA, 23 years of his entire basketball career, including uh, his, his play overseas. Pre- pretty incredible what he was able to put together. And, uh, I mean, it's going to be sad to see him leave. Um, you know, he didn't get a farewell tour like some players did, but I think he went out Very in, honorable. in a really Manu way. I think Tim Duncan way. Yeah. Well, it's, I think Tim Duncan might have gone even more quietly. Did Tim Duncan tweet that he was leaving or, or announce it? Hey, like, man, you're probably right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, I think you kind of had a feeling that he was going to be gone because the Spurs situation is kind of tumultuous as is, but he just wanted to think about it. He probably took the summer to, like, get his things in order, as I would expect Manu would, because he always came prepared and, you know, he's, you know he's what? going out. I'm just struck by the thought of, like, Manu seems like the ultimate um, Caesar of his opportunity. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like 
he understood the greatness of Tim Duncan and Pop and the system and the and the true respect and beauty for the game. And I think he's probably said this, like, you know what I mean? I mean, he really just went out in every game. And, of course, there are, you know, he had bad games and had bad plays. And, oh, there he goes batting a bat out of the air. That was unbelievable. <laughs> that was unbelievable. He just did bat the bat out of the air. Anyway, um, it, it, it just felt like he's a guy you'd always want on your team. You know what I mean? Like, when would you ever say, like, y'all can have Manu, y'all take Manu? If, if you're in any game you can ever think of, if Manu's out there, like, you'd want him more than your opponent. No matter who, you're playing with MJ and LeBron and give me, you know, the top 25 players ever. If it's, like, between Manu and a guy, I don't even know how I could say no to You know, he's so, he's a winner, man. It's something I understood when I didn't even understand what, like, anything was. I understood that, like, guys like Manu and Tim Duncan and the Spurs. But I really saw it in Manu because he he played herky-jerky and weird. Yeah. You know? He was cool for me as a kid. He well, was like, what, what pass it, is that? And I think something... Did he just go through his legs? Like, yeah. it was childlike. I think something else that needs to be said, and, and I'm sure people outside the U.S. are having this conversation all the time, but... Manu is probably the third greatest international basketball player of all time. Okay, Dirk. I'm putting Dirk and Hakeem in front of him. Hakeem obviously played in the U.S., but he's from Africa. Um, you know, that, that, that can't be what? I'm just thinking if he counts because he went to college at Houston yeah, and but like, he, but was in the draft. But he's from Nigeria. Yeah, I guess. But did Dirk, have, did Dirk play, play professionally? I think so. Overseas? All right, well, then, then, <laughs> then what I'm saying is... Semantics. You're a non-American basketball player because, um, because mm. some other countries are good at basketball, but the best basketball players are, are American. So if you're putting... You've got to put Dirk, Hakeem, and then mine has got to be the third best international player. And I think that says a lot for the spread of the game. And, you know, I don't know how he compares to, like, the Messi's... What about Yao? Better than Yao, for sure. Probably better than Yao. I mean, he certainly had a longer career than Yao. Yeah. Maybe I Yao's mean, peak what? was higher. The longevity thing is the thing you can't get away from yeah. with him. Yeah, and that's why LeBron's probably the GOAT, too. Even though I think Michael Jordan was an all-around better player with better accolades. We're not here for that right now. Manu's better than both of them. I think we can... Manu's better than both of them. Manu's, Manu, Manu's the GOAT. Listen, Manu and Terry Rozier would dust MJ and LeBron in a game of two-on-two. Don't at me, I think. I don't. I, is what I'm supposed I, to say? I'm just like thinking about their height. I don't even care about the rest of their game. Give me Manu and give me Terry Rozier. Um, but my, <laughs> point, my point being is that I think one of the really mo- most important parts about basketball over the 23-year career that Manu had is think how much it's grown here in the U.S., internationally, and the role that he played. You already mentioned that he helped Argentina win a gold medal. I mean, Unbelievable. He he was a four time champion. The you guy really has just, that, the guy's just like a face of basketball, and he's not a starter, which is kind of <laughs> unbelievable. Look at this block. We're watching that block on Harden, the reigning MVP. I mean, it's just with like a giant bald spot because he like he didn't have. It. Oh, it's so he just blocked him again. I'm sorry. I know we're just watching this video, but if you go watch that, just go watch that block. It's everything that's good about life. <laughs> He he said he oversells. He goes harder than humanly possible, and he makes the most miraculous play. And didn't and that was a regular season block that helped Spurs make it the playoffs, right? Nope, that eliminated Houston from the playoffs. That block. I'm almost certain. Let's let's see. 
I'm pretty Wait. sure that block eliminated Houston from the playoffs. Last season? Two seasons, Two seasons ago. ago? Yes. Gino... Gino Beely. I think you're going to do a lot of editing on this podcast. No, nah, we send it. We go send it. Look, it's a uh, game... Oh, no. it's No, it was to take a 3-2 lead in the series. Okay. So it was a huge game. It was a home game. They couldn't lose that game. It's tied 2-2. Oh, it's tied 2-2. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. I was mistaken. But it was a huge, huge moment. To effectively win it, I mean, it's going up 3-2. Yeah. But not really. But um. No, it was big, and it just kind of shows that he was always he always was there. And you know what? I think it's cool. I think we should talk for a second about, um, to me, the dynasties in my lifetime have pretty much been the Patriots, the Spurs. Is that it? I mean, the Lakers had a dynasty. I suppose. I mean, didn't didn't Kobe win three championships? Kobe and Shaq won back-to-back-to-back. Th- uh, back to back. The and turn then, of the millennium. Right, and then two and then more. Kobe won two out of three. So, from, so yeah, I guess so, so, so that's so if, this, if, if Kobe has five championships and that's in the same span that the Spurs yeah. have four, then yeah, I think you got to include You're right. I mean, it's just something about 2014 is so much more recent than 2010 to me for some reason. That's true. You said lifetimes. That's what, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, about. no, you're right. It's just like the 2014 team. Also, like when was Tom Brady's first Super Bowl? That had to be 2000, a while 2001. Ago, right? It was 2001. And, with, and another thing, is, I know this is a basketball podcast, but like the only constant on those teams is Tom Brady and the coach. Yeah. Like, I don't even, like, I know other players who won titles, but like, I couldn't tell you who won two. I mean, I could if I thought about it. But yeah, if you thought about it. It's kind of who, crazy. Who's won two? Edelman's won two. Okay. Edelman definitely has won two. Okay, you asked me to name players won two? There you go. All right, there's, there's, <laughs> one, there's one of them. Edelman. Was he healthy for two of them? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, the Atlanta one and the Seattle one. Those were like back-to-back years. Or two out of three. They got eliminated by the Broncos. Peyton Manning Broncos. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Manu. Manu. You're talking about dynasties. Yeah, dynasties. And the Spurs have been this really, quote-unquote, boring dynasty. But to think about them dismantling the Heat in 2014, you know... All I can think about is Boris Diaw. And it's just, I guess you got to be kind of a deep NBA fan. <laughs> to, ugh, I know how pretentious that sounds. But just the fact that guys like Manu understood that in the right spot, a guy with Boris Diaw's skill can change shit, can really give you an advantage. And if we exploit the system the right way, and yes, he wasn't the only one. Tim was probably the head of it, and Tony was there, and... Guys that were there the whole time, you know. Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi, of course. But just, you know, he was content in, in that role of get Boris the ball to break down the defense two, two passes later. Mm-hmm. You know, just the buying oh. in. Oh, and he just dunks on people when he was younger. Holy moly. And the shot was wet when it needed to be. I mean, what could you want more? No, he was player? great. He, and and if, if, you take, if you take out like the last like three or four years of his career, he probably averaged like over 15 points. A, a, uh, over, don't you think? I think he probably averaged over 15 points in his career if you take out the last couple of years. Yeah. Off the bench. Definitely. No, he de- I'm looking at the stats. He definitely does. He, he averaged 10 points 
uh, seven and a half points and nine points in 2015, 16, 17. And his overall was what? 13, 13. So yeah, he absolutely averaged over 15 points. Yeah. It's wild to think about a guy coming off the bench. In his prime. Dude, a career 52%. Oh no, that's effective field goal percentage. Because a career 50% field, field goal shooter. Or shooter. Yeah, from a guard position, that's impressive. Uh, it would, yeah, right. I mean, because right, I guess he's, what is he, a two? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a two. Something about lefties. Like, who, who's a better lefty? Harden or Ginobili? Who's better James all-time? Harden is much better than so, Manu skill So you feel okay saying James Harden? You think James Harden and Steph Curry are both better players all-time than Manu right now? Yeah, I do. Is that really an argument? I mean, I think I feel the same way. But it's funny to say, right? It's like, but then again, if you had to make a team, right, out of all the picks of NBA players... I'd almost want like a Manu, Scotty Pippen type team rather than a James Harden, Steph type team. If that makes any kind of weird sense to you. I'm trying to think about it. I'm not sure. I don't know. Do you think Manu and Scotty Pippen are similar players? I don't know. There's a certain sense of like, I mean, I think him and Rodman are similar. Like the effort. I'm not saying Stephen Harden don't have effort. It was just like, it was almost oh. a skill he had to just go harder than you. <laughs> you know what I mean? In a similar way to me. When I watch Scottie Pippen highlights and game footage and Rodman defensive defensively and, and going after boards. Yeah. I mean there's this there is this it feels tangible, but it's not of I want this more than you. I want this more than you. And like again, we can get as analytical and deep into all the background about you know, statistically why Manu's great. But at the end of the day, like when I was ten, eleven, twelve, I just knew like, oh crap. Whenever I thought of the prospect of Manu Ginobili versus someone I liked, mm-hmm. you know, I think I was rooting for LeBron in 07 because I was 13 and... <laughs> He's exciting. Yes. And I just knew, like, oh, no. No. And I'm not saying I was scared of Manu specifically. I mean, it's this very uh, humble thing. I mean, th- that's why we're doing this podcast. You know, when Paul Pierce retired, we didn't have a... Manu... I do have a Paul Pierce jersey, though. Yeah, don't but, have a Manu jersey. And I'm not saying any shade to Paul Pierce. I love Paul Pierce. I, I just don't feel compelled to talk about, like, uh, you know, the morality of shit. Well, I'll say, <laughs> I'll say it for you. His impact on the overall game basketball just does pales in comparison to Manu's. But that's odd, right? Because I, I'm sure Paul Pierce's stat line on Wikipedia would seem much better. Yeah, but the NBA is one of the better leagues, if not the best league in the world because of its personalities, I think. And Manu stands out as just a classy guy. And a hard worker. Classy guy, hard worker, takes the opportunities he's given. And, you know, when you're the when you're the best player on the team, which Paul Pierce happened to be, depending if you think like KG was better than him, sometimes you have to step into like this like swag swaggery, like I'm the I'm the best role. Alpha E role. Yeah, Manu excelled in being the third best player on the team, the fourth best player. And finding team. a way to be an alpha in that role. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, symbiotic. I keep thinking of the word symbiotic with Manu. I feel like Manu is a chameleon in the best way possible. I mean, he he really, I mean, he's an inspiring guy, the way he plays basketball. The little romantic people that get, you know, starry-eyed about basketball, like me. It's great to watch Manu calling plays i was telling you earlier today and we saw it in this highlight video there's this great video on i think there's an international game the spurs are in a couple years ago and like manu draws up the last play of the game and they get it and they convert it and it's like uh 
you know, it, it's not surprising. <laughs> I mean, I think of Steve, people want to talk about Steve Kerr as a basketball genius. Like, can you imagine if Manu started coaching? Maybe he will. Hopefully he does, man. I'd, I would love Manu as a coach in every way possible. I think he's a great ambassador. I want him to take his time. I mean, he's devoted everything to this game. He's like the Ichiro of basketball, low-key, but without the amazing hitting stats. You know, there's an argument. You, you, you just love comparing people. Yeah, yeah, people. I compare stuff. You know what I mean? It helps me get through I, the I'm day. I'm not really sure how Manu and Sky Pippen are the same. But... I think that's what people are trying to hear. I always like when people compare stuff. <laughs> okay. So I'm comparing shit. <laughs> Great, okay. Yeah. And look, I love a part of this highlight video is his losses. Well, this is no longer a Manu highlight video. This is, oh. this is about... <laughs> This is that championship that... Oh, no, see, this is about the 2014 season, yeah. this video. <laughs> so, anything to say about uh, Manu Ginobili before we uh, call it a day? Harlan, I, really, I, really think, I really think we've said, said it all at this point. I think we have, too. Harlan is zonked out right now, man. Oh, my gosh. Do you see his face? A long day at the park will do that to you. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm thankful for Manu. I'm thankful for basketball, and like I'm thankful for Manu because he helps me understand that I'm thankful for basketball. Yeah, I mean, ugh, he was just such a disgusting space creator. You know, he it seemed like he had no business shooting the, let alone making the shots he took sometimes near the hoop. Um. Okay, anything else, Justin? Anything to plug? For some reason, this video called him Grandpa Juice. Was that one of his nicknames? Grandpa Juice? Yeah. Hell of a player. Oh, look at that pass. Is Kawhi Leonard even a good basketball player, or was it just he was playing with Manu his whole career, and Manu made him look good? <laughs> Is guess, Kawhi even good we'll, in we'll the littlest out. bit? Maybe he's just like an average middle-of-the-pack player without Manu. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they all were. Maybe they all were, yeah. Maybe Tim Duncan was not, you know... That's that's probably the hottest the, take we've ever had, but I'm I'm well, willing to go with it. No, no. What, who? Okay, before we go, who is the third most important spur now on the team right now? Dejounte Murray. I'm looking up the spur. I would say probably, but I but, love Dejounte's game. By but, the way, but 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 I don't see him being a scorer in that way. This team is like like didn't Dejounte Murray made third team all defense this year? No, I love Dejounte's game. I think he is the third. I'm looking at Lonnie Walker and Pau Gasol and. All right, well, I don't think Lonnie Walker is going to be the third best. He's a rookie. When does Pau call it quits? You know how high Pau is on all time points. You know yeah, how he's great. He's got so many points. Pau's is a top, you know, five international player. I forgot Steve Nash when I was saying that. Steve yeah, Nash yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Who Steve Nash or Manu? You can almost say it's an arguable. You have to take Manu because he won, yeah, where Steve won. Nash didn't. But it's the same argument why you're saying Steph and Harden are better because they got the MVPs. I mean, you're telling me a back-to-back MVP winner is is not better than Manu, well, a sixth man? You're you're that doesn't work when you put Curry and Harden together because Curry has championships. Harden doesn't, so Curry's definitely better all time than. Than Manu, I guess you could make an Ugh, argument. I, I even this. hate talking about this. You're right. This is stupid. <laughs> Manu's freaking phenomenal, okay? And so is everyone else who's good. Anyway. How long did Steve Nash play for? I mean, Steve Nash was great for most of his career. He just, yeah. didn't, he just didn't win. No, Steve Nash is great. You're getting the sniffles. Um, we'll be right back with some closing statements by, uh, by Eli.
So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Manu, thank you very much. And uh, I hope you play basketball in like a weird adult league and I come across you and, you know, we run together because you'd be the great leader of a pickup squad. Sounds nice. Okay, goodbye. Alrighty, thank you once more to Justin Moser for coming on. Uh, only things to plug are Harlan the Corgi on Instagram. And go uh, follow and subscribe to Hoops and Brews on Twitter and YouTube and all your platforms. Alright, and with no further ado, I'm going to bring on to the show Eli Horowitz, uh, PR director for the Los Angeles Sparks. But before he worked for the Sparks, he was just a great friend of my brother's. And growing up, I'd play basketball with him all the time. And I'll tell you right now, I can attest to it, his favorite player, as long as I've known him, so that's like since 04, 05, has been Manu Ginobili. So um, I thought it'd be great to get his uh, two cents on what Manu meant. And uh, let's, uh, let's pick his brain a little bit. This is a fun conversation. This is uh, Eli Horowitz. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter on Manu Ginobili. All righty. Thank you, guys. All righty. I am here with Eli Horowitz. Eli, uh, it's a sad day. Um, Manu Ginobili will no longer be playing the game of basketball professionally in this NBA. Um, I couldn't help but think of you. I couldn't help but uh, think of, when, when I think of Manu, I mean, my extremely subjective thoughts, uh, you know, if I think too hard about it, I end up at you because you know, being one of my brother's friends growing up, he was always your fav- favorite player. So, you know, I read today that he retired, and I wanted to have your thoughts. So uh, go for it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on your show. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, when I, when I played, um, I played in this kind of rec league at one point back in the day. I forgot if it was like maybe between middle school and high school, I want to say. And it was this rec league um, in Evanston. And it was kind of, you know, I'll just put it, you know, I was the only white guy in the league. I'll just put it that way. And um, every time I did something in the league, the refs, it was like the same refs, they would just call me Ginobili. And like, obviously I had like heard of Ginobili and like knew he was a pretty good player. Um, but I was just kind of like, why are they calling me Ginobili? Like they would just like, like Ginobili, you know, like when I'd make the a three were- or drive in. Yeah. The refs, it was really, it was really interesting. All righty. And like, I was like, oh, okay. Is it cause I'm like the one white guy here, but like, Ginobili's Argentinian and like not like you know what I mean like he's not like if you were to like call like a white guy who can shoot like an NBA player right like I feel like Kirk Heinrich at that time or like there are other players to me that are more just like the white guy you know Ginobili's Argentinian he's Latino you know so the more I realized it was like they were saying it because I think I'm like a five foot nine broad shouldered stocky Jewish kid who is somehow like finding that one crack in the defense to like lay the ball in over 
kids who were like 6'4", 6'5", and athletic. And then I kind of realized the more I just got into his game, um, he, he he's a player that played between the lines, played between the beats, you know, to make the music analogy. Um, and that's kind of what I always had to do physically. And I think once I kind of, like from those reps kind of prompting me by calling me Ginobili to then I just started obsessively watching his every move and just kind of modeling my game more and more after him to the point that to this day, even when I now just play pickup, I'll drive left probably 60 to 70% of the time, even though I'm a righty, because I just studied the way he played and he was a lefty so you know it's weird it's funny like it's almost sounds like a a bit of a selfish um kind of commentary when you're hearing this guy's retiring you think okay let's talk about him and all he's done but for me it was just such a big impact at that time on me as a player but now to this day working in the WNBA for the Sparks, I just feel like I can really trace a lot of my life in basketball. And Ginobili definitely was like the biggest influence on, on me just being obsessed so with the game. There's, thank you. Thank you. That was amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, I can attest. I remember, you know, playing outside my house on that, you know, rickety hoop I had growing up all those times and you know my brother was never a basketball fan but I was and I was way younger so you kind of bullied me out there and you know you you know you didn't drive in as much as you know you would have if I was as big as you but you would always try to um, like push fundamental basketball on me and and use it through like mono and I'm sorry Manu analogies and like I remember hearing the speech about Manu playing between the beats like gosh Wait, I'm trying to actually give you a, a tangible number. I remember hearing that from you at least 10 years ago, 12 years ago, you know, like so long that, you know, you made me watch Manu. So what I want to follow up with, so what does that look like, right? So the rats call you Manu and it resonates a little bit because you're vaguely familiar with him. But what? So like you catch every televised Spurs game and since this is around 07, I suppose, like they're, you know, and arguably their prime. And so you were just watching young Manu, you know, I don't know. I mean, not, he's not out. We don't have league pass and YouTube highlights weren't as big as they are. You just watching sports center for Manu. Like, how do you, how does, how does someone playing in San Antonio become someone in Chicago's like favorite player at that time? I th- yeah, I mean, I think I just tried to catch the Spurs as much as I can. And I just remember whenever, because he'd come off the bench. And so whenever he'd come in, I would just like get locked in. And, and, and you really realize like, you know, and again, I can only speak to the players I've watched. But as far as in my, my time watching basketball, I've never seen somebody mm, um, as creative sure. on the court. You know, just the, there's nobody who plays like him. You know, it just, and it would become addicting to watch him. You know, you were just waiting for him to have that amazing, you know, one-handed bounce pass from half court to somebody, to the big man, you know, on the secondary role or the left-handed 
scoop layup over somebody. Uh, you know, obviously the the classic Euro step, which you know Wade kind of took a step further, mm-hmm. and now it's just <laughs> par for the course in the game. Um, but aside from the highlights, like what I really noticed about his game, you know, back to that playing between the beats analogies, it's just a lot of players just play in a line drive. You know, if they're open, they'll shoot. If they see a lane, they'll drive right to the rim. Maybe they have a crossover or a nice pump fake. But Manu had this way of kind of zigzagging. And that's kind of what I mean. You know, um, there's more than one route to the rim. And he was willing to take the indirect route to find his opening. And I think it's as someone who's coached, you know, high school basketball in a year as a D3 college assistant, I found it first struggling as a coach because since I played kind of, I tried to play that style being undersized, I found it really hard um, to kind of teach people when, uh, when you think right, about right. it, a lot of what it's he does Manu is something had, you would never really learn in a clinic, say, right? He, he was you never like really, results, you never like, learn. Having, having Go the fundamentals, such respect and, and reverence for fundamentals, like it only then can you unlock like the things that Manu would try. It was the foundation of everything you, you knew was like, a true admiration and work ethic for the game, but it would be, like it would manifest. And you're right; those crazy half court things that you would never teach, but you just knew it came from like, a solid basketball place with Manu, always. Exactly, and that's a great point. It's like the amazing things he do he yes, he yes. does or I mean I want to say does because he literally was still doing it last year. Um, like you're right, you, you, I think that is a misconception. You have to have incredible I, basketball IQ and fundamentals first, right? Like that amazing pass is also understanding that his big man is, you know, on a secondary roll to the rim, and that he's going to be there. You know what I mean? So there's a basketball IQ you have to have to know that's happening, or. Um, even in the Spurs offense, they're kind of read and react. Again, it's knowing where the cuts are going to be. Um, and then even, you know, the handle you have to have, the the finishing, right? So he, he may make a shot at a crazy angle, but, you know, he's learned how to square in the air, as I call it. Again, another underrated thing, you know, you know, I could go on for days, but just oh, you watch a guy like that and you think it's off balance until you really look at the slow-mo and he – he may twist and turn and contort his body, but something I learned from him is to there's still a way to square your chest to the basket in the air and get your eyes on the rim to finish the shot, you know. And um, to the point where some of the stuff I emulated from him, I'd be, you know, I'd play at the park and people would always call it a lucky shot or this and that, um, not understanding that you might leave off balance, but there's things you can do, tricks you can do to kind of gain balance once you've left your feet. Let me just say, it probably was a lucky shot. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, I mean, uh, you know, it just feels like a gush fest, but it, you know, it really is. I mean, you know, watching Manu because it gets kind of gets lost too, right? Elias, like the fact that he's, he's been old now in the league for a minute. Right. So his, when he was really new and athletic, right? Cause he comes in the league at I think like 25 years old and he's already a fully formed player. 
and he just happens to fit in this Spurs system. And like you watched those early games where he could just rely on that really unique athleticism, you know, he and, you know, I can't, you're right. He's so unique to watch, but um, it really is those, those attributes that a player can have that, that can transcend their own career and their own way they affect the game. And, you know, it, it, it spans sports, those traits that lead to longevity. And there was always this uh, like inherent, genius to Manu's game and I think it was based on the fact that he really was a natural sixth man I mean he'd always play the last you know seven minutes of the game if need be but he really he really you know something foundational about that resonates with me too you know just on the road trying to be a good person about Manu's that there was never anything superficial everything like every move he made whether in on the court or off the court just all seemed like stuck in uh, or not stuck but as a result of like a profound respect and humility he just seemed to always have and I know you know yes he retired and I don't know if I'd ever be saying this on a podcast if he you know if it didn't happen like this but it's all true I mean we've been we you and I haven't spoken in quite a long time but you know my love for Manu just grew I mean the way you're able to impact the game is is something that's truly just beautiful for for a really intense basketball fan, you know. That you know the Dennis well, also like or the Draymond Green stats, but then you had Manu who could do the same thing and hit the game winners. Okay, I'm oh, sorry. Go on. Well, no, it just it really even makes me wonder like you see a player like that and you see somebody can be a Hall of Famer at the highest level, you know, win four titles win an Olympic gold, right? on and on with the accolades. And this is a guy who plays completely with an unorthodox style and unconventionally. And it makes you really wonder, like, how we teach the game. It's so regimented. And again, I, you know, when I was coaching, and it almost makes you wonder, like, I I think, uh, are we missing something in how we teach the game of basketball? I mean, how many players, if we gave them the freedom to be themselves, like Manu, would be so much better? Or would we discover players that maybe got cut or maybe didn't get minutes or didn't get an opportunity because they did something um, a little bit different than what the coach was asking or their techniques were a little bit different than how the coach you know, expected it? And um, it kind of makes you wonder, right? Like as unique as Manu is, it makes, it seems like it's hard to believe that there aren't others out there that have this kind of a unique style. But I, I feel like sometimes in sports, it gets so regimented. Um, You know, I guess credit to Popovich for kind of allowing him to be himself really. I mean, right. I mean, that's again, we, yes. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there are other Ginobili's out there that, probably at some point were shut down by a coach, right? Or not given an opportunity because well, they think, did it differently, I think differently, the thing right? is that's so unique about Manu is he truly had someone who shared that symbiotic love for the game, like, uh, you know, merging the the selfless play with the, with the, 
you know, just using the athleticism. You know, what I what I guess I'm get, getting at is Popovich was his perfect per like who knew like no one could have. I doubt even both of them knew how perfect they were for each other. Um, but you know, there's a certain lightning in a bottle effect or lightning in a bottle thing I have with Manu. You know, when he blocked Harden to 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 I don't know two years ago in the conference finals to end the series in Game Six. And he just come up from behind and swipe that ball, and it's just something though, right? Yeah, Harden, the MVP, oh, yeah, uh, Harden, the reigning right? MVP, and this is a thirty-eight year old, you know, generous. I don't know how old he was at the time, at least thirty-eight year old, just like wise man, sage of the game. But it didn't seem like he was old. It just felt like his game has always been so sage-like. You know, it didn't feel like, a, you know, an old man learned thing. It felt like he would have done the same stuff in '05. So, uh, I don't know. And that's almost just another example, right? Where, um, again, you're probably taught by 99% of coaches, Mm -hmm. never leave your feet on a closeout, right? And he always left his feet. And now you even have coaches admitting and and other philosophies coming out where people are saying, actually, you should leave your feet if if the shooter is an elite shooter, that really the only way to affect their shot is if you do leave their and Ginobili was doing that a long time ago when it was kind of frowned upon. And like you said, even on that play with Harden, I mean, he's willing to, he, he took a gamble a lot of people just wouldn't do. So he's, and it's funny because he was doing that kind of stuff 10, 15 years ago. And um, again, just another example of kind of letting somebody be themselves and realizing there's more than one way to, to do this thing. And in some ways, he's doing stuff that maybe we should be teaching. <laughs> yeah, it, it just makes me think about your remarks about, you know, maybe why why is he so unique? Why aren't there more Manus? And I just keep coming back to this, you know, inherent student or this inherent feeling that Manu like truly was always a student of the game and had this like overarching respect for like the team spirit of it all, which you just can't teach. You know what I mean? It like I don't know if even if you're taught the through the the Manu, you know, the Manu book of basketball coming up. You know, let's say you go and Eli, you you create this incredible Manu philosophy book, way of life, how to play basketball book. You know, even if you give them that book and you know have them highlight what to highlight on the pages, if you aren't if you can't understand that it's a team sport and the game is truly most beautiful and efficient and the most glory comes to the players that you know to the teams that understand that i mean i mean you can just find you go go google beautiful basketball and you'll find a video of the spurs and the thing you'll find is manu in every single highlight and sure tony parker and tim duncan and Kawhi leonard and you know the incredible cast of characters over this last you know 20 years uh, 15 years um 15 years for manu but you know, 20 years for them, he did something for basketball that's like so remarkable and it brought beautiful basketball back. He, he understood analytics without you having to show him them, show him them. You know what I mean? He just always played with this ahead of the curb way. And it's something I think Eli is just unteachable. I mean, I think that's why it resonated so deeply with you maybe. And surely why it resonated with me It's because I was watching someone that sure, like, isn't anything special on paper compared to his size and height and athletic ability and even jump shot. I mean, a great jumper, but it wasn't, you know, he was never 
you know, I said earlier, he was never Chris Mullen with the jumper, but like he just always had this beautiful, beautiful understanding of the, you know, sacrifice for the team. And maybe that sometimes comes out in me having to take the ball and score like that's sacrifice to him. And it's something I think is truly unteachable, maybe, but uh, maybe, I don't know. You can, I'm going to give my kid to you. You can train my son and he'll be like Manu. <laughs> well, I read like, I read that the Spurs won 72% of the games he played in, which is kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> yes, that's a crazy thing. I think I saw that stat today. Ugh. Yeah. Um, you know, though, I think there is lessons to be taken from how he plays even from like a coaching perspective and how we deal with teaching young people is just, yeah, I think you're right. There's some like trying to emulate his exact moves. Maybe there's no way to teach that, right? There, there's an intuition he has to the game that is hard to explain in words, but um, maybe, you know, maybe it's simple things. Maybe if you're doing a drill, like a live drill where, uh, you know, it's, close the, you know, you have, let's say a defender pass to somebody on the wing and close out and the drills to kind of attack off the catch and drive to the rim. I feel like with a lot of coaching, it's all right, catch, pump fake, one dribble shot, or you you give them these exact directions and you're kind of monkey see, monkey do. And can we learn from, hey, um, you know, you got to make like just saying, hey, you got to find a way to get there and kind of let people figure it out for themselves, kind of what with their body and with their skill set is going to be the most effective way to get to the basket, right? Or is it, hey, you got to make a move to your right, but somehow you got to get back to your left hand. And again, it's almost like we're giving somebody less steps and allowing them to find a way to do it themselves, you know, it doesn't, don't you feel like he almost played like somebody who wasn't given directions? I, I just, I, yes. I mean, you make incredible, incredible points. I'm just struck with this <clears throat> uh, unshakable feeling I have towards the, the NBA right now and, and the way people are playing right now. And it's that I feel like Manu resonated and that, um, that uh, counterintuitive but necessary uh, identity Manu had seems to be rubbing off on, on, you know, the stars of tomorrow. Like I, you know, you see a lot of Manu in like Jason Tatum or, or, uh, or uh, you know, even Dante Exum sometimes, you know what I mean? Like you, you just see this effect that I think he's had that is kind of unquant or, uh, you know, unquantifiable, but, uh, you know, I, I think we're, le- we're we're getting towards because Eli, it's a more beautiful game than it was in two thousand four, right? I mean, the games today, NBA today, is a more, uh, in my opinion, flowing, beautiful game, and I think, it, you know, you can't. There's no evidence to Manu didn't, you know, <laughs> didn't help that. There's only. Uh, well, my point is, my point is, the twenty fourteen Spurs were not the first team to pay play with great spacing and and pace and ball movement but i think seeing that style of ball movement and quote-unquote beautiful game win a title at the highest levels against a team that had lebron james you know Dwayne wade and chris bosh all in their prime 
and seeing that you can win at the NBA at the highest level by sharing the basketball. I just think that that year specifically will go down in history. Um, you know, because as good as those Suns teams were, they never won the whole thing, right? There's again, there have been other teams that have moved the ball and played unselfishly, but the Spurs just in convincing fashion beat, you know, one of the most talented rosters ever. And I think that's, you know, the last five years of the league have been defined by that to some extent, right? No, yes. Zach Lowe a couple years ago wrote a really great piece on how, you know, after every playoff game, you know, the Spurs would all have team dinners, win or lose, you know, losing decisive game of the finals when every other team would just, you know, sulk or go to bed or go their separate ways or have clicks, right? Where these three might grab food and those three would go here. And, right. um, you know, that's something I think I would love to kind of learn more about, right? Because that to me, just having lived in Argentina and having spent a lot of time in South America, I mean, that just, to me, that is like the culture that he's coming from, right? It's true family. You you all sit down and have a meal and look each other in the eyes and talk, right? Whether you're winning or losing. And I feel like we always throw around this cliche in sports of great teammate. Um, but that to me, like not, and again, it, like you said, it's not just Ginobili, it's, it's th- that whole team, but um that is actually being a great teammate, right? It's it's not just the high fives on the bench that a lot of people do. It's like really creating an environment where it is a family. You're literally breaking bread um, and, and, and getting to know people. And, and I think that's where like actual trust and communication develops. And I think we just throw around that cliche but that's a player and a team that actually backed it up. Well, that's as beautiful a sentiment as any to, to, to wrap this up. Um, yeah, so thank you. Uh, thanks, Eli, for coming on. Uh, again, I wanted to talk to no one more than I wanted to talk to you about Manu and his impact. And um, Yeah, so thanks. Uh, say, say hello to Emma for me. What show was she watching, by the way? Do you know? The sharp think, objects yeah, finale? yeah, the sharp objects finale. We started uh, sinners last night. Do you like it? I do. It's kind of like a you know similar to fracture that we watched yesterday. It's kind of like a bat, like a the op. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, hold on, hold on. I fell asleep. Did y'all like fracture? I did. I did. I like like. Yeah. I don't like horror movies, but I do like thrillers. So I feel like with thrillers, there's like. There's a formula to it, right? There's one violent scene, right? It's the the murder or the whatever the crime is that the rest of the movie is about, like the chase to figure out who did it or, you know, whatever. So I can get through that one scene, you know what I mean? And then I really enjoy the thriller aspect of a movie, but I don't like, but I don't like the reverse where the whole movie is based on a series of just like violent scenes, Hey man, fair enough. <laughs> well, but what's okay, that called? Listen, what, what's the opposite of a whodunit, where you know who did it at the beginning, and then you're trying to figure out the motive or 
the court case I don't know, behind that. You know, I, oh, well, I'm thinking stereotypical, just like horror film, right? It's just like your protagonist is like the killer and it's no mystery. And so like, you know, it, yeah, it's yeah. the opposite of the whodunit is Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think. Or it's Teletubbies, right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you got listen, next time we'll watch Ides of March, okay? That's next on our list. Okay. Okay? Okay. For sure. All right. Yeah, thanks, Eli. <laughs> All right, man. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for taking that trip with us down Monterey, uh, memory lane. And uh, that does it for this week's episode of Basket Sprawl. I'm thankful for Manu. I'm thankful for basketball. And, like, I'm thankful for Manu because he helps me understand that I'm thankful for basketball. You're going to cut that out, right? Hell no. Ginobili!